Isaiah 43 and 19, behold, I will do a new thing, and it shall spring forth. As we have learned over the past several weeks that there are different ways to encounter a breakthrough. Extraordinary faith can bring a breakthrough in our lives. Extraordinary humility can bring breakthrough in our life. Also, extraordinary prayer can bring breakthroughs in our life. Extraordinary worship can bring breakthroughs in our life. Extraordinary passion can bring breakthroughs in our life. It was passion for a breakthrough that led a blind man by the name of Bartimaeus, uh, that led him out of the blindness and the darkness and an impoverished life because he had the passion to be heard by Christ. He refused to be silent. When those around him told him to silence yourself, be quiet, and uh, he refused to be quiet. He lifted his voice to be heard by Jesus because he needed a breakthrough in his life. It was passion for a breakthrough that led to the healing of a woman with the issue of blood. Because she had a passion to touch Christ, she refused to stop searching and she refused to stop reaching because she needed a breakthrough in her life. For 12 years, she had had this incurable condition that did not get any better, but rather it grew worse. But there was something in her that pushed her on. If I can just touch Jesus, I can have that breakthrough in my life that I needed. And she refused to stop without until she had touched God for what she needed. The Syrophoenician woman also received a breakthrough for her daughter and her family because for her, she refused to accept no for an answer. And she continued worshiping and reaching out until she saw a breakthrough in her family. For four men, they tore a roof off of the top of a house because they had a friend that had a desperate need. And they refused to allow themselves to be restricted by the barriers at hand because there was a passion on the inside of them to see their friend's need met. So the desire for a breakthrough will cause you to do things that others may sometimes feel is somewhat extreme. But if you're the person that needs the breakthrough, it doesn't seem extreme to you because you're the one that has the need in your own life. You're the one that has the need in your family. You're the one that has a need in the life of a friend or so forth. And so what may seem extreme to others doesn't really seem extreme to you. It's just what I need to do to get on the other side or whatever's standing in front of me to get a hold of what God has promised for me. You know, really getting a hold of whatever God has promised us is more important than anything else. There's a lot of things in life you and I can let come and go, but there's something about the things of God we can't allow to come and go. We got to get a hold of it and pull it close and pull it dear. And so when you are facing extraordinary circumstances, it may very well take extraordinary obedience to receive your breakthrough. And that's what I want to talk to you about just a little bit this morning is about obedience in receiving your breakthrough. Turn around to somebody and tell them you got to do some obeying sometime to get your breakthrough. What do I mean when I say extraordinary obedience? One might say, well, all obedience is the same, isn't obedience is obedience is obedience, right? Well, if we took that position, then I guess we'll all have to say all faith is the same. But I heard last week that it's not. I heard there's a human kind of faith and there's a God kind of faith. So if there are different types of faith, can there also be different types of obedience? If there are different levels of faith, can there also be different levels of obedience? Someone may ask the question and say, well, isn't all prayer the same? No, it's not. There are prayers of spiritual warfare. There are prayers of intercession. There are prayers of supplication. There are prayers of blessing. There are governmental prayers. And there are also prayers for the sick. So all prayer is not the same, then why would we think all obedience would have the same level in receiving some things from God? I'm going to help you to see today that there are some levels of obedience that put a greater demand on you than other levels of obedience do in the things of God. Someone may say say that all worship is the same. Is all worship the same? The Bible says in John, the fourth chapter, that they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. 
But yet Jesus said on one occasion, there are some, they worship me with their lips, but their heart's really not into it. So there are two types of worship. There is a worship that is sincere unto God and is fervent unto God. And then there is a worship, it's just lip service, but there are two different types of worship. And what you and I believe that all praise is the same? No, all praise is not the same. There is praise that comes with thanksgiving. There is praise with the clapping of hands. There is a shout of praise. There is praise in dance. There is praise in song. So there is different types of praise, and there are different also levels of obedience. So when I tell you that all obedience is not the same, let's look at it this way. If you were sitting here today, don't worry, I'm not about to receive an offering. This is just a little, uh, little example here. But if God spoke to you to give $100 in an offering and uh, you had $1,000 in the bank, you could readily obey that, couldn't you? That wouldn't take extraordinary obedience. But if God spoke to you and said give $1,000 and all you had was $1,000 in the bank, well, that's a different level of obedience there. Because, see, now you know what you got to do. See, now you're going to have to pray about that one. You, want, you know, you, you want to make sure that's God speaking to you. Because all I got is a 1,000 in the bank, and God, you say give a 1,000. So you, you, you want to make sure you don't miss God. You see, it was easier to give at that $100 level or obey God at the $100 level. You were not challenged in obedience at the $100 level because you had resources to meet the need of the 100. But when God asks you to give a 1,000 of a 1,000, your level of obedience is now challenged because you're thinking about bills you got to meet. You're thinking about gas you got to put in the car. You're thinking about groceries that's got to be paid. You're thinking about the mortgage that's got to be paid. And God said, give it all. Now your level of obedience is challenged differently than at 100 where you could more easily obey God. Keeping that thought in mind, we know by just that little simple illustration, it's easier to obey God in some things than, at, than in other things. So, Extraordinary obedience, what makes it extraordinary and different from just obedience is that extraordinary obedience goes against your logic, it goes against your reasoning, and it goes against what you see and hear in the natural and what you know is fact. Hang with me now. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Just want to praise him, hallelujah. What makes extraordinary obedience extraordinary? It goes against logic. It goes against reasoning. It goes against all the facts and evidence that you see and you hear in the natural. It puts a greater demand on your ability to obey God at that level than at a $100 level. Now, when we look in St. John, the 11th chapter, and verses 21, 32, 37, 39, 40, 41, 43, 44. Almost kind of got a little rhyme working there, don't we? Let's look right quickly here in John because it is here we're going to first see where extraordinary obedience is demanded in order to see the breakthrough. Okay, Verse 21, and do your backdrop of this story. Most of you are very familiar with these passages, but Lazarus was sick, and word had been sent to Jesus that your friend Lazarus is sick, and we know if you get on down here, Lord, everything will be all right. And so, you know, Jesus waits a full two days after he received the news, and so it's four days later by the time he gets there. So I guess you can honestly say Jesus just waited for the man to up and die before he ever got there. It would appear that he's too late. It would appear that it's too far gone. It appeared that it's hopeless. It's over. And, but, but Jesus shows up anyhow because he's just that kind of a person. And so when you look in verse 21, now there's three things and, and three times in these verses that we see limited thinking. 
And what makes limited thinking limited thinking is that it puts God in a box and says that the conditions are not uh, uh, right for God to do a work here. Now, let's understand something about God. God is supernatural. Okay, that means that he is above what you and I know as the natural order of things. God can override what you and I know as the natural order of things. He is supernatural. In other words, God has ability to do things that people can't do in the norm. So here we have a case where we see three times limited thinking is expressed. Thinking to keep God locked in a box. Got to have the perfect circumstances for God to work, they think. You got to have the perfect timing, they think, for God to work. The conditions have to be just right for God to work. If you and I were going by the weather, this would be a beautiful day for God to work, wouldn't it? Oh, come on, help me out here now. You know you loved it when you got up and you saw the sun shining. There wasn't a cloud, rain cloud in the sky, no thunder, no lightning. And you said, boy, this is a beautiful day. And in limited thinking, people feel that the conditions and the circumstances have to be so in order for God to work. Because if it's not just right, well, God can't work. But here's the problem. Verse 21, the Bible says, Martha says, Lord, if you had been here my brother would not have died. Verse 32, Mary, her sister, fell at his feet saying, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They had this, they put Jesus in a box. In other words, the box they were trying to put Jesus in was the box of days gone by. It was the box of the past. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Never mind the fact that Jesus is right there right now. I mean, is he Jesus or is he Jesus? Never mind the fact that he's here right now. We just, you know, in our limited thinking, we so locked in. You see, the weather was just right for my brother to get healed a few days ago. The sun was shining then. Everything was good. So if you'd have just came back then, Lazarus would have had a chance at it. How often do we put our Lord in a box and go back to yesteryear and say, you know what, God, if you just would have showed up back yonder, if you just would have did something back then, not understanding he's a God of right now. God is not the God of the past, folks. I know sometimes we want to think our lives would have been better if at some point we would have had some connection with God back then. But what about right now? Why are you shortchanging the God that can do anything but fail? He's here right now. He's here right now, Martha. He's here right now, Mary. But if you had been here, and it wasn't just Martha, and it wasn't just Mary, there were some Jews that also were in their company, and I love the way they said, they said, could not have this man who opened the eyes of the blind also kept this man, speaking of Lazarus, from dying. If you just would have been here, now we know you can open blind eyes. Hey, we ain't got no problem with that. And if you just would have been here, you could have kept Lazarus from dying. There's that limited thinking again, putting God in a box again, giving God the circumstances and conditions that he has to work in, not knowing God don't need perfect conditions and circumstances. He's God. He creates his own circumstances and conditions should he choose. Oh, hallelujah. You see, in their mind, in the mind of the limited thinking person, when the circumstances of death has occurred, in Lazarus' case, it's all over. It's finished. It's hopeless. No need to pray about this, think about this. Don't even, you know, this thing is over, and there's no way this can change. So, you know, it's just, it's just too bad. What is this story about Lazarus trying to communicate to you and I? What is it that God wants you and I to see in this story? I mean, really, 
we can, you know, I mean, we wasn't there. And so, you know, when you really get to thinking about it, there is something here that God wants you to understand that is applicable right now and relevant for our lives right now. Even a story as, that we could look at and say is so antiquated as that story about this man coming out the grave. There is relevancy there and there is application there for our lives today. Lazarus represents the difficulty of the case in the realm of the natural. When you look at what's happening with Lazarus, he represents the difficulty of this situation, of the circumstances, the condition at hand. And God wants you and I to understand today that when we are facing conditions and circumstances that seem to be bigger than what we can control, that seem to be bigger than the natural mind can perceive and understand, and all the facts are there, and all the evidences are there, God wants you and I to understand that extraordinary obedience can bring a breakthrough in that, in that realm of impossibility. Turn around to somebody and tell them all things are possible with God. You see, the Bible teaches us that what is impossible with men is possible with God. I know you can't do it, but God can. I know you can't work it out, but God can. I know you can't bring walls of Jericho down, but God can. I know you can't make a way out of no way, but our God can make a way out of no way. With men, these things are not possible, but with God, all things are possible according to Matthew 19, 26 and Mark 10, 27. The Bible lets us know that all things are possible with God, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. And I'm going to add within the context of his word and his will and his purposes and his plans for our lives, because there are some people that stretch that beyond where it needs to go. And so I got to qualify that by saying within the context of the purposes and the plans and the word and the will of that God has for your life all things are possible and the realm of God working the possible in the face of impossibility is the realm that Satan wants to keep you and I from and he does it by planting a lie in our minds He plants a falsehood in our minds about God like he did with Eve. Genesis, the third chapter. You still with me? All right, don't y'all get too quiet. Now, y'all know y'all the, the, somebody called this the Holy Ghost service. All right, so, uh, you know, don't, don't, don't fail them, okay? Don't fail the ones that thought that's... I'm reading from the, the uh, New Living Translation, and remember, Satan plants a lie or a falsehood in our minds to try to move us away from the confidence that God can do what he says he will do, and when you don't have the confidence that God will do what he says he will do, then you don't have the obedience to follow through, and obedience is merely works or actions that declare your faith. Watch this now in Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. Now, God didn't say nothing about touching, but she put that in there because the lie has started. And when you start, when the lie gets in your mind and your spirit, you kind of get confused a little bit by what you heard. You know, I thought I heard, but I didn't know if I heard what you thought. You know how that goes? And this is where Eve is at right now. So she said, you know what? He said, we don't even supposed to touch it. And before it's all over, not only will she touch it, she's going to eat it. She, maybe if she hadn't added that, she wouldn't have went there. I could really talk about this right here. I could, I'll tell you, what, but I'm going to move on. You must not, you, she said, you're going to die. 
Here comes a lie. You won't die. But what did God say? The day you eat thereof, you shall die. What did the lie say? Oh, you won't die. And then notice what the Bible says in verse, the very first part of verse 6. In the New Living Translation, the woman was convinced. But what was she convinced about? You see, you're going to be convinced about something. You're either going to be convinced that God can do what he said he'll do, or you're going to be convinced about the lie that the enemy plants in your mind. You're either going to be, oh God, help me Jesus. You're either going to be convinced about the facts or the evidence that you see in the natural, or you're going to be convinced about the power of a supernatural God that can do in spite of what the facts and the evidence may indicate. So she was convinced. And so what did the enemy convince her of? What did the lie tell her? That God is unfair. God is unkind. God is unmerciful. God is vindictive, mean, and uncaring. You know, the lie tells, tries, to, tries to tell you and I that there are some things God won't do for you. It tells, tries to tell you that God doesn't really care. God, you know, you know, God doesn't care that you're struggling with that disease you're struggling with. God don't care that you're struggling financially. That's all a lie. God does care. But the lie will tell you these things, that there are some things that are too hard for God to do. That's the lie. They say, you know, that's, that's a hard case right there. God don't do hard cases no more. He just do easy cases. You know, God just do headaches. He don't do bringing folk out the grading. You know, God just do easy cases so he won't risk, you know, being embarrassed because he got a case too. Can I tell you that there's no case too hard for God? Can I tell you that there's no case in the human family that God can't remedy? Can I tell you that, that's, that it doesn't matter what the case is, God can be all over that thing and fix it in no time at all or give you the resolve and the grace to walk it out until it is fixed? We're talking about, folks, we're talking, I like to say this, we're talking about the capital G-O-D and not the small G-O-D. God is a God that can do anything. And so God's not, God's not trying to hide from the hard case. Oh, boy, I hope they don't bring that one to me. Man, I ain't got my mojo working. God ain't got no mojo. He's just God. God ain't got to stir nothing up in a pot and conjure something up. He ain't got to chant 1,600 times and, and put an abracadabra on it. He just speaks, and it happens. He just says it, and it comes to pass. Oh, he can just think it, and it'll come out from where he called it out of. We're talking about a God that can do anything. And the devil make you think, boy, your case too hard. God can't handle your case. No, no, brother, you might as well just go on and just forget about that. God works only easy cases. And you fill in the blanks what's an easy case and a hard case. You see, Satan is a liar, and he hates the truth. In John chapter 8, verse 44, and I'm picking up partially there, it says he all has always, Satan, he has always hated the truth. Because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character. In other words, when he opens his lips, he's telling a lie. If his lips are moving, he's lying. Because it is consistent with his character, who he is. He can't tell the truth. He can acknowledge the truth. He can identify the truth, but his very essence is that of a lie. And when he speaks, he speaks of himself. He's the father of the lie. But on the other hand, God is truth, and in him is no lie at all. The Bible, oh hallelujah, the Bible says in Hebrews 6 and 18, it is impossible for God to lie. Now I'm getting ready to say something and you hang with me because it's going to sound like I'm making a play on words. But if you listen carefully, I'm not. It's not a matter that God won't lie. That's not it. It is impossible for God to lie. And what that means is God can't lie. See, if I say God won't lie, it's as though I'm saying he has a choice about it. He can choose not to or he can choose to fudge on the truth a little bit. 
It ain't that case. Oh, hallelujah. God's very nature is truth. And truth is consistent with who he is. So it is impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. If God said it, God's got to do it. Before it gets out of his mouth good, if that black chair, if God said it's going to be white, before the word even hardly gets out of his mouth, look for that chair to be white, even though it's black. Because the truth says you are white because it's consistent with who God is. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. The devil has told some of you you're weak, but the truth says you're strong. The enemy has told some of you you can't be healed, but the truth said by his stripes you are healed. The devil has told some of you you're going to be broke, busting, and disgusted all your life, but the truth said your God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and Jesus shall supply all your need. The devil tells you there's no need to pray, but the word of God, the truth says all flesh shall come unto him and pray. The devil tells you you can't have a breakthrough but I hear the word of God saying a breakthrough can happen for your life. Touch somebody and say healing can be yours. Touch somebody and say a breakthrough can be yours. Touch somebody. Go ahead get with me right now. Touch somebody and say better days are coming. Touch somebody and tell them you're getting ready to come out of whatever you're in. Touch somebody and tell them God can turn it around. Touch somebody and say my God can make a way out of no way. Touch somebody. Just touch somebody and tell them God is true and all things are possible with God. Oh, hallelujah. My God is a truth-telling God. My God, somebody needed that right there. Because the devil has browbeat you and put you down and boxed you in and tried to limit your thinking. It's time that you understand that the God you serve can bring you out of whatever, bring you through whatever, and keep you in whatever. Limited thinking said if you was just here back then, no, 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 no. Truth says I'm here right now. Come on, Jesus. Show me what you can do since you're here right now. i show you what I can do. Lazarus had been in the grave for four days now. The Bible lets us know he's already stinking. He's deteriorating. He's decomposing. He is just a shell of what he had been as a man. He's not what he was in days gone by. Am I talking to somebody right now that needs a breakthrough? Things in your life are deteriorating. They're decomposing. It's just a shell at what it used to be like. But Jesus said to them that are standing around, it's time for somebody to show me some extraordinary obedience. And if you'll show me obedience I'll show you a breakthrough Jesus said take away that stone Jesus didn't need them to take the stone away so he could do the miracle Jesus needed them to take the stone away so the miracle could get out of that tomb some of you got your breakthrough on the other side of that stone some of you got your miracle on the other side of that stone turn around to somebody and say take away the stone take away this push on that stone push on that stone because on the other side of that stone my breakthrough is coming my breakthrough is there the breakthrough from my family the breakthrough from my body the breakthrough from my finances the breakthrough from my ministry the breakthrough in my anointing it's on the other side out of that stone and you're not going to keep me it might look extreme me pushing on this stone but he said do it turn around somebody say just do it yeah before Nike ever came around with just do it Mary told a group at a wedding feast just do what he says just do it 
I know it don't look cool. I know it's not logical. I know it's not reasonable. I know it's against the facts and the evidences that are being shown. But what you got to understand, God don't care about those facts. God don't care about the evidences. God says it is so. It is so. God, I feel like preaching. Can I tell somebody, your sons and daughters can and will be saved. Your spouse can and will be saved. Can I tell somebody that God, hallelujah, is getting ready to work in your behalf. On the other side of that stone, roll away the stone, roll away the stone, push that stone. Some of you got a stone of unforgiveness. That's standing between you and your breakthrough. Some of you got a stone of unbelief that's between you and your breakthrough. That's always going to be something between you and your breakthrough. Some of you got a stone uh, of anger between you and your breakthrough. Some of you got a stone of just, I don't know if he can, if will, yeah, 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 yeah. Take away the stone. My breakthrough's on the other side. My breakthrough's on the other side. I believe right now is somebody just praising. Somebody just praising. Somebody just praising. God, I'm not letting my breakthrough stay in that tomb. I'm not letting my breakthrough stay in that grave. My breakthrough's coming out of there. Lazarus! Truth spoke. And when truth spoke, here we go. I know the facts say he's dead. I know the facts say he stinks. I know there's evidence that he's not alive. But the truth said, Lazarus, come forth. And when the stone somebody obeyed, truth went into the grave where a dead man was at. And though Lazarus had been there decomposing, deteriorating, do you know what truth said? Brother Lazarus, somebody's calling your name. Come on, out of that Lazarus. <laughs> All right. Ed done jumped on that organ. I'm about to go Baptist on you now. <laughs> Come on, Lazarus, out of that grave. The truth said, I don't care how long you've been there. The truth said, I don't care how stinky he might be. The truth said, he might be decomposing. But the truth said, he's whole and alive and alive in Christ. So the last say is too hard. No. The truth says, is anything too hard for the Lord? All right. I got my sweat on. I guess I can cool down now. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you needed a breakthrough in your provision? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Now, I know some of you, you ain't never needed a breakthrough in your money. But, boy, I can remember days gone by. We didn't have two nickels to rub together in our house, hardly. This was way back years ago. How many of y'all ever grew up and all you had was, I mean, you didn't have hardly anything, just nothing. In 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, and I love this passage because it shows me that when you obey God, God can stretch your resources. And this little lady in 1 King, the 17th chapter, had a preacher of audacity to say to her, bring me some water. And uh, she was going to get the water. He said, uh, by the way, after you get that water, I want you to bring me a piece of bread to eat. Bring me a cake. She said, well, Mr. Preacher Man, I ain't got nothing but a little flour, no olive oil in the house, and I'm going to make me and my son a cake because, see, they've been in famine. And when you're in a famine, that means you don't have anything. You don't have resources. Think Time's been tough. Time's been difficult. 
And she said, we're going to make this little cake, and <clears throat> me and my son, we're going to eat it, and we're going to die. And he said, I tell you what, since you've already conceded that you're going to die, you've already conceded you have no future, you've already conceded you have no hope, no promise for tomorrow, um, this is me at living, just go ahead on and make me a cake. And uh, I tell you what, the God that I serve, he done gave me a word for you. That all the days of the famine, you're going to be sustained if you'll make me a cake first. Because she told him, all we got is a piece of bread in the house. <laughs> How many of you ever been to a place in your life, all you had was a piece of bread? I can remember days and years gone by when I was growing up as a kid. Man, all we had was a piece of bread or two. We, we put ketchup on that bread. <clears throat> I know some of y'all ain't never ate no ketchup sandwich. Well, I'm t a, a ketchup sandwich is good when that's all you got, man. We put ketchup on that bread. I mean, we, we didn't even have the delicacy of bologna to put between them two slices of bread, you know. And uh, you can go through hard times so often that all you got is bologna and a piece of bread. But I tell you what, God can see you through your hard times if you put him first. I remember days in my marriage, man, I had a wife and three kids, and sometimes, I mean, dollars was tight, man, tight. My dollars were so tight one time, I told my wife, I'm, I wanted a lazy boy, uh, what do you call him, lazy boy, uh, recliner. <clears throat> I said, I'm going down to Sears. I'm going to get me some credit. I'm going to go get me a lazy boy. I went down there to Sears. They looked over my financial history. They said, no, nah, we ain't giving you no credit. You can't. That's how bad it was. You can't pay us back. Can you imagine what it was like for this lady? There was nothing, folks. A piece of bread. She ain't even got a piece of bread. I mean, it's bad. And Elijah said, tell you what, all this will turn around if you just put God first. Just put God first. Now, here's the problem. That goes against all logic, all reasoning of the mind. The facts and the evidences say all I have is a little flour and a little oil to make one cake, and this prophet wants the bigger portion of that. But if you would do what God say do, your breakthrough is on the other side of your obedience. And so the greater the challenge, the greater the demand your obedience is going to be because the evidence is not there. It's not a $100 gift. It's the $1,000 one. That goes against the one you got to pray about, remember? The one you, you know, you got to say, whether this be the Lord or not. The devil ain't gonna By the way, the devil's not going to tell you to give a $1,000 offering, okay? I'm just clearing that up right now. He ain't doing that. But she does this, and listen to what the prophet says to her. He says, don't be afraid. Tells her, don't be afraid. Verse 15 in the 17th chapter says, she went and did according to the word of Elijah. When she obeyed, something began to happen. You see, the, the, the breakthrough is, was already provided. It was there, contained within the word of God. When Elijah said that the Lord shall sustain you all the days of the famine, the, what she needed was already within, within, the, within the realm and the possibility of God's word. In order to release it, though, she had to obey Now, what am I trying to say? What you need in the way of breakthrough is already provided. It's already there. What has to happen, though, you have to be obedient to what God says to you to release what God has already provided. There are a lot of God's people walking around that could have already received their breakthrough, except they have failed to obey God in some area of their life that he's been speaking to them about. And when you don't obey, the breakthrough doesn't come through. It don't be a breakthrough. That's why they call it a breakthrough. 
Okay. Luke, the fifth chapter. Let's move a little farther. I'm, I'm getting ready to close here. I done screamed enough this morning. I got to have a little scream left for the next service, so. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. Preaching is really easy if, easy if God helps you. <laughs> but if God don't help you, you know what y'all sitting out there doing? Boy, I sure be glad when he hurt finish. <laughs> Why he said that? You know, what, what, what's wrong with that shirt he got on anyhow? But when God's helping you, you don't see none of that. You saying, boy, just, just keep on going. Keep on going, Rev. Keep, keep stoking. That's how it is when God helps you. You know how it is when you, pray, when you pray? Have you ever prayed when God has helped you and when it seemed like God ain't helping you? I know ain't, ain't the proper grammar. When God is not helping you? Have you ever noticed a difference? Boy, when the Spirit of God is working with you, boy, you can rock prayer. Jesus, hallelujah. I mean, you in it, man. I mean, you chasing devils. You calling down fire. And, man, it's happening as work. But, man, when, the, when God ain't around you. Your mind all up in the Galleria. You down on your knees. Lord, uh, Jesus, I love you. They got a two for one today. and <laughs> Things just go better when God is in it, right? And when you... <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to charge you a dime. I'm not going to charge you anything for that one. I just threw that one in. Okay, St. Luke, the fifth chapter. <laughs> See, God's working. You heard it. said, come on. All right, St. Luke, the fifth chapter. Here is a situation that requires extraordinary obedience on the part of Peter because it goes against all his logic, all his reasoning, his training, and his experience as a fisherman. The Bible says this. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, verse number three. Stepping into the one of the boats, speaking of Jesus, he asked Simon, is owner to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and talked to crowds from there. <clears throat> when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Notice Peter's response. Before you condemn what Peter says, keep in mind, he is an experienced fisherman. He knows these waters. And when he speaks, he's speaking with any logical, reasonable person that has his level of experience and knowing those waters would say. Notice this. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. Okay, Peter, you worked all night long. You hadn't caught a thing. But I told you to let down your nets. But logically, that don't make sense. I know ain't no fish here. I've been doing this all my life. I'm here in these waters all night. Ain't no, no fish, Lord, no fish. You know, I, <clears throat> another sidebar. I actually had stopped going fishing in Houston. When I lived in Corpus Christi, I mean, I could catch fish. With, I mean, with my eyes almost closed. We'll go off the seawalls there, off, the, off the, uh, uh, the waters there and just catch fish. I come to Houston, I can't, catch, I can't catch nobody's fish, man. I remember one of the men in the church said, Brother Simpson, I'm going to take you fishing and you will catch fish. Emphatically, he, he said, I got a spot. You're going to catch some fish. I say, I'm on, bro. I get my reel, I get my rod, I get all the stuff that fish like to eat, you know. And we go out in his boat, and we didn't catch no fish. So he said, don't, don't worry about that spot. He said, I got another spot. I guarantee you're going to catch fish. Because see, up to this point, I hadn't caught no fish in Houston. So I'm convinced there ain't no fish in Houston. So he's going to show me this fish can be caught. So he said, I got another spot. 
So we go to his, uh, he takes the boat, man. We go somewhere and we, we're in another spot. And we out there for a while. I got all the stuff that fish supposed to like. And I'm, chum, chum, no fish. And he said, you know what, bro? He said, this ain't, this ain't never happened to me. He said, I have never been out here and didn't catch anything. I said, I told you there's no fish in Houston. He said, I tell you what, you come to my house and I will give you some fish out of my, in other words, you're going to leave with some fish because I promise you some fish. If a man can keep his word, what about my God? Now, here's Peter. Back to the story. and I'm getting ready to shut down here in a moment. Peter been fishing all night long, know the water, experience, reasoning, logical. This can't be. But he says this. King James says, nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. New Living Translation says, but, you know, I'll do it. In other words, you know what Peter's saying? I know you to be the truth. Here we go again. And if the truth says there are fish where there are no fish, if I got a picture that shows that there's no fish in the water, if the truth says there's fish there, before the word even hits the water, guess what? Before my nets get there, there's fish. Some of you didn't get that. Because you're looking at your circumstances, and you're looking at the conditions, and it seems logical, and the evidence is there. It seems reasonable to the thinking human mind, and all the facts are there, but the truth is saying something differently. Now you got a choice. Who you going to believe? Peter said, well, I'm going to let this net down because, man, I done seen this, I've seen this guy walk on water. I done seen him do stuff that nobody else can do. So, obviously, even if there's no fish here, if he said let down my net, something's got to happen. Can I tell you, when God says that something's got to happen, Peter lets down the net, and before you know it, he's calling for help to pull in all these fish where evidently there had been no fish. I don't know how Jesus did it. I just know he did it. I just know he did it, and I know he can do it for you if you're willing to obey him. You see, your breakthrough is on the other side of letting down the net where you done fished before and nothing has happened. If you go ahead and keep that prayer going, if you go ahead and keep your worship going, if you go ahead and keep your praise going, if you go ahead and keep the things going that God has called you to do on the other side of your obedience can be a multitude of the blessings of God for your life. I am, I am getting ready to close, and I'm closing with Philippians. Because there was a need for the human family to have a breakthrough. The human family was locked up and bound up in the ravages of sin. And nobody that had come before this man, Jesus, had been able to give man truly the breakthrough that he needed. Jesus Christ comes along in Philippians, the second chapter, and the Bible says that he was obedient, obedient to even the death of the cross. This is extraordinary obedience, and here's why. Jesus was much as human as you and I are. Jesus wanted to live as a man as much as you and I do. But Jesus understood something. Some breakthroughs take extraordinary obedience. And in Matthew, the 26th chapter, verses 38 and 39, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying. And he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. The weight of the sins of the human family are on my shoulders. The young lady that has lost her way in the streets and don't know where to turn. The weight of her direction and destiny is on my shoulders. The husband who's struggling to try to keep his family together and trying to provide for them in a job maybe that doesn't provide enough income to keep things going. The weight of that is on my shoulders. A wife who's worried all night long about a wayward son is on his shoulders. That person that 
you and I sometimes may disregard under the bridge alcoholism, drug addiction, the weight of that person's needs are on my shoulders. That person has been battling discouragement and depression and it seems like they can't get free. The weight of it makes my soul exceedingly sorrowful. And now I can go on and on and on with the tragedies that marked the human family. And it was all on Jesus Christ. And he said these words, Father, if it be possible, if it's any other way that the human family can receive their breakthrough into the presence of God without me doing this, let this bitter cup pass. But nevertheless, I've heard that word before Peter said it, defies all reasoning, all logic. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will. In other words, if my obedience is the only way that the human family can be saved, I will lay my life down. Why do we love Jesus? Because he first loved us. Why do we serve Jesus? Because he paid the ultimate price of obedience. Obedience that Christ gave cost him his life. But it gave you and I the life of God. God's calling us. Oh, we want a breakthrough. Absolutely. But there are some breakthroughs that come with a high price and cost. Some come with extraordinary obedience. Lord, if I just want to be obedient because on the other side of my obedience is my breakthrough. Oh, we shout now. We worship. We love his presence. But what if Jesus had not been obedient? What you and I know and, and worship and fellowship in and, and just embrace will not even be known. I want to ask you this question. If somebody's breakthrough depended on your obedience, are you willing? If the next level that the church is going to go through depended on your obedience, are you willing? If the next level of your ministry depended on a level of obedience that you had not yet given, are you willing? If the salvation and the move of God in your home and your family depended on another level of obedience, are you willing? I know it sounds like works, but there's a difference between works of the flesh and the works of obedience that God honors. It's not the same. The works of obedience declare my faith in him. And when you obey him, you release the breakthrough to move in your behalf.